G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. This episode is featuring an amazing, powerful lady by the name of Leanne Berry. Leanne is pretty well known around Australia in the bookkeeping community and has certainly in the last 12 months been a a crucial voice in the community as we have traversed so many changes and so many things that have required information. And information is something that Leanne is so in tune with. Part of this episode, we'll delve into how does she know so much stuff? And we're really, really excited to be able to share her story with you. And I'm hopeful that you will gain so much from Leanne's story. Leanne also tells us a little bit about her growing up in Lithgow in New South Wales. We hear about her fight to give women that equality in the workplace that they so deserve and that fight continues to this day. We also hear the sadness and the tragedy of the loss of her husband, Ian, and that part of her story is a powerful story and also gives us pause to understand the world we currently find ourselves in now and where Leanne has come to through that journey. We hear about the naughty 40s and how that played an impact in Leanne's life as well. So please sit back, enjoy. You don't want to miss this one. She is an amazing person and I'm loving the fact that we can bring you the story of Leanne Berry on Heart of the Bookkeeper, Episode 4. Enjoy. Well, hello, folks, and man, am I excited to uh, have you joining us on another fabulous episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper, and I just want to get straight into it. I absolutely just want to get straight into this. Um, Leanne Berry, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. Thanks, Rob. I'm so excited to be joining you and having a chat with you today as well. Now, Leanne, we're going to talk about lots of things today, but to to kick this off right from the get-go... There are so many listeners out there that um, probably think they know you well and we'll we'll see how that goes on this journey together today. But I reckon if there's one question that they'd all want me to ask, and certainly, you know, I've known you a long time now, it's the question I most want to ask you, and that is, do you ever go to bed? How do you know so much stuff you know, for the for the listeners who are listening in on this podcast, I'm sure you're aware, Leanne Berry, you'll see her on social media. Yes, she's the queen of all sorts of information that is provided in the bookkeeping industry for those who are listening in and associated with the bookkeeping. She is the, she is the fount of all knowledge, in my opinion. And um, we just want to know, do you ever go to bed and how do you, where do you get all this stuff from? Yeah, I do go to bed <laughs> and I do sleep and um, I do tend to uh, have lots of nanonaps because I'm of the age demographic where nanonaps are compulsory. Um, look, I've always been a person that can retain information. So when I read it once, I'm not saying I've got a photographic memory or anything like that. My daughter certainly has. She astounds me every day with the knowledge that she has. But I've always been someone that can read something and retain it. Um, So, And especially around something that I'm very passionate about, small business and, you know, not so much legislation, but in previous positions I've had to read and understand legislation and interpret interpret legislation. So it's just something that I've always had a natural ability for. And I love sharing that information as well. Well, I, one, I think you're amazing. I've never ceased to stop marvelling at how you just know this stuff. You know, I, I've, I read the news half an hour ago and I can't remember what the lead article was, so that's where I'm at with all of this. But uh, yeah, the membership of the ICB and those listening in who aren't in the membership and have had some association with you, I think on on mass we all acknowledge that your understanding, your ability to share the understanding, of things that some of us really struggle with is just amazing. So uh, congratulations on your ability to do that for a start. I'm still not convinced you go to bed very often, but anyway, congratulations and thank you on behalf of everybody because um, what you share and what you um, bring to certainly the bookkeeping profession with your your knowledge and your understanding of so many diverse things is, is quite exceptional. So 
Before we even get going, thank you, Liam Berry. You are sincerely and um, definitely one of the most important players in the game. Let's put it that way, in my opinion, mm. anyway. Thank you, Rob. Let, let's get into this proper, you know, enough um, uh, enough about... Um, yeah, enough patting me on the back for that. Yeah, enough patting <laughs> on the back. Let's, let's, get to the, let's get to the meat of all of this. Um, quite obviously, one of the, the things that is of interest to a lot of people is where did it all start? From a, a bookkeeping point of view, I know a little bit about your story. I, I don't expect that bookkeeping was there from day one, but I do know that you uh, come from a town called Lithgow in New South Wales. Now, for us ignorant people, especially probably more so me, being ignorant here in Western Australia, I know the Lithgow Flash. Yes. Have I got it right? Marjorie Jackson, was it? Absolutely, yeah, Marjorie. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got Shirley Strickland, I think, over here yep. or no, maybe one. They were great friends. They were great friends, Marjorie Jackson and Shirley Strickland. There you go. Look at me. Um, but so the Lithgow Flash. So clearly she was from Lithgow. She was absolutely from Lithgow, and she was a you know absolutely applauded when she came home after winning winning the medals at I think don't quote me the Helsinki Olympics. Don't quote yeah. me on that. But and there's a gorgeous bronze statue to her in um, what's called Cook Street Plaza in Lithgow, and it's a, a beautiful statue. So if ever you're going through Lithgow in the main street of Lithgow, there's a gorgeous statue, and the athletics field is named after Marjorie Jackson, and um, she went on to become the governor of South Australia. Wow! I oh, know. Yeah. I didn't know that. There yeah. you go. Yeah. It just gets deeper on heart of the book. Here we get it all does, this info. Doesn't it? Oh. Yeah. But then again, I'm, uh, that's not a surprise given that you probably stayed up all night to research that one. But anyway. <laughs> Didn't even know you were going to ask it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, the, the bronze statue about uh, Marjorie, I reckon, will soon be replaced by a Ma- uh, bronze statue of Liam Berry at yeah, some right. point in Lithgow. I'm, I'm going there. There we go. More more pats on the back. <laughs> Tell me about Lithgow. Tell me about growing up in Lithgow in the 1960s. You know, for us here in WA, where is it and, and what's special about Lithgow in your mind? So Lithgow's nestled under the um, the western edge of the Blue Mountains, so um, about two and a half hours west of Sydney on the other edge of the Blue Mountains. So it's a beautiful place. It's a small country town with the villages. It's got a population of about 20,000 people. So I grew up with my brothers and sisters, um, idyllic childhood. You know, I had a wonderful childhood. I had, um, I've got great memories of my childhood. We were a fabulous family. We did lots of things together. We were a sports family. Um, Dad was, um, uh, worked at the small arms factory in Lithgow, which is an iconic um, precision engineering factory that um, makes the Steyr rifles still. So mm-hmm. supplied rifles through the war, huge, big production factory, did other things as well like sewing machines and refrigerators and all that sort of thing through its journey. Mm. But Dad um, started there as a tool maker when he was like a young nipper of 16, 17 years old and went through to become one of the accountants at the factory. So he met Mum at the factory. She worked in the metallurgy department. I don't know whether I've got that word right, but they met and (laughs) married (laughs) um, after a short romance. Um, I've got three other siblings and I'll two older brothers and a younger sister. Um, we were a very sporting family. Mum um, learnt, mum went back to college after having me, as far as I know, and um, studied to be a primary school teacher and we went to school about the same time. So I started kindy and she started teaching about the same time. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we used to have family camping holidays every year up the north coast of New South Wales, Port Macquarie, Foster, up to Talabudgera Creek on the Gold Coast, you know, four weeks riding bikes and swimming and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, pretty idyllic, you know, lots of sports, summer and winter, involved in the community. Mum was the president of the Lithgow Netball Association for 20 years. So I have, a, I guess, um, uh, my commitment to service comes from seeing my mum and everything that she did you know when we went to school Mm. teachers did everything so teachers Mm. you know did the drama they did the school plays they coached all the all the sports teams you know we were we were at school all the time you know mum mum would do parent teachers and she'd be after school doing things and all of that sort of thing so everything we did revolved around the school so I was in the Mm. school the school sports I played every sport there was you know my brothers and sisters were all pretty good at sports and represented at sports in you know various pictures from state school to state to you know that sort of thing as well so great childhood 
great memories. I know, you know, from my growing up that, uh, and I think I might have mentioned this in an earlier episode, that quite often the trigger for anybody, anybody listening in now thinking of their childhood growing up will be suddenly you're walking along and you get a smell that you just go, ah, that's, you know, in my case, Harvey. You know, when you go, what's what's Lithgow? What do you smell? What the Blue Mountains, surely something, there's got to be something there yeah. that uh, triggers gum a memory. Leaves. Definitely gum leaves. Gum leaves, yeah. We we lived on the side of a mountain, so we only had neighbours on one side of us. Um, the kids of the neighbourhood, so where we where we lived in Beaufort Street, um, it was built as duration housing for the war to, ha- to house the employees that came to Lithgow during the war. So there was like something like 1,500 people employed at the small arms factory during that, that war period. And so they built all these houses that were only supposed to last for the duration, but then a lot of people wanted to stay. So mum and dad, when they got married, bought the house for £500 and it took them 25 years to pay that off with all the, you know, building and extensions. Dad, I can remember dad and my brothers and my, my grandfather building extensions onto the house and all of that sort of thing. So mm. they were forever making modifications for a growing family, I guess, um, mm. and, to, and to suit our lifestyle and, and our library collection and, you know, all the bloody encyclopedias we had and, you know, uh-huh. mum, mum and dad's work and study and all of that sort of thing and growing children. Um, so, yeah, so gum leaves. Um, we used to have the bonfire, like bonfire nights and firecracker nights in the, the June long weekend. So oh, we nice. would, as you know, there was probably 20 or 30 kids in the neighbourhood because everybody, mum and dad, like they're all contemporaries. They all, all the fathers worked at the factory that lived in the area and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So the children, you know, growing up, we all had mates of the same age that lived within four radius blocks of us and we used to do all these things together. So we'd build bonfires. So we'd start on Australia Day and, and build a big bonfire up the back and, you know, a couple of the dads were in the fire service and we had a fire station just down the road that we used to set the alarm off from every time we were past <laughs> <laughs> There's something I shouldn't own up to, eh? Hey? <laughs> no, no for the younger listeners, there, there was once a day where you could just go around blowing things up without being arrested, but now... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, very, very <laughs> frowned on now. But, look, yeah. it was a community, you know. It was so much a community. We used to all play together. We'd get on the bus to school together, you know. It was just, it was a small town, regional. Everybody knows everybody, everything, you know. Mum and Dad would know what I had done before I could even tell them. So there was no, there was no lying to my parents about where I'd been yes. or what I'd done because yeah. somebody would tell them because they were very well known in town. So... Yeah, so getting well, back it, to it, smells, yeah, bush gums, bonfires, caramel milkshakes, sausage yeah. rolls from Alan's Cake Shop. Nice, <laughs> nice. I can, I can almost smell them now and I wasn't yeah. even there, so that's yeah. great. Uh, it's something about smell that uh, just triggers people's memories, especially when you challenge them about it. So, And the other smell... Right, right, right through growing up was the smell of Tic Tacs because we had the Ferrero Rocher factory or the Tic Tac factory in Lithgow. Nice. So Tic Tacs. So not so much the peppermint ones, but when they were making the fruit Tic Tacs, you could smell the orange <laughs> and so you would know what Tic Tacs they were making at the factory, at the Tic Tac factory because of yep. the smells. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you've got it because in Harvey the, the predominant smell was the local abattoir about 3 <laughs> o'clock when the, um, when the south-westerly came in. Uh, every dog in, in Harvey would take off. Yeah, yeah. I was so. talking to someone the other day about the sewerage works. So if you lived on the other side of Lithgow, it was the sewerage works, but we were lucky we lived well away from there and never got that smell. I note that Dad was um, an accountant. Uh, mm-hmm. at where he worked. So yep. is there a connection with, you know, where you're at right now? Was that kind of the creation of a love of, of accounting and bookkeeping or, or not the no, case? absolutely. I would run as far. If you saw my, uh, my HSC maths results, you would wonder how I ever, ever fell into bookkeeping and accounting. <laughs> so, yeah. no, there was really, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a teacher. So um, mm-hmm. I was accepted to uni as a teacher and decided to do a gap year um, and never went back. 
decided I, I got a job in Sydney and um, I love money and I love to travel and do things with that money. So I decided that I'd had enough of study and never really went back to it. Got went back to it a few times but haven't done anything serious with, with study. So, and I know, I know this is, is still the case now. Clearly mum has had a major influence on, on your life. I, I know dad has too, but, um, you know, just even the, the fact that you're talking about wanting to be a teacher, was that because of mum's inspiration? And, you know, I know she's been inspirational through your whole life, hasn't she? Yeah, look, my, you know, I am in awe of my mother. She is just the most amazing woman. Um, she she astounds me every day. So, yeah, I guess the teaching came from that. Um, I've always had that love of passing on knowledge. So even as a kid, I used to, you know, set the Barbie dolls up and teach them and, and have a blackboard and do all that <laughs> sort of thing. So I just loved teaching teaching people what I knew and sharing the knowledge that I had. So, yeah, you know, watching mum do that and watching, you know, the way that, that children just loved her. I mean, there's generations of Lithgow people that still walk down the street, you know, and they're, they're my age and still call her Mrs Osborne, which is such a yeah. sign of respect to somebody yeah. that they just love. You know, you ask a lot of people in Lithgow about who their favourite teacher was at St Patrick's School and they would say mum was one of, the, one of their favourite teachers. So she was very well known very well respected and I, I saw that and I saw her love of imparting that knowledge and the dedication she put into it. You know, it was in the days where you had the old um, Gestetna machines, you know, and she would write mm-hmm. out the, the triplicate and put them on. We had a Gestetna machine at home and mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, you know, she would do those and we would run the run the her, her sheets off. So she would finish typing it or writing it up and we would put them on the Gestetna machine and run off her lessons for the next day or her worksheets or whatever she was doing so you know all of that sort of thing I think was just something that I saw growing up and just absolutely loved and thought yep I could I could actually do that um so yeah but she also when she was um about 1990 I think it was it was just before my daughter was born she was in the um, gym room at St Pat's and a whole lot of steel hurdles fell on the back of her neck and that was basically the end of her career. So she had constant, really bad pain in her back. Um, she's lived with that chronic pain for 30-odd years and, and she has lived with it. She's been in and out of hospital. She was a very sick woman. She's had a lot of illnesses and the way that she maintains herself and has dealt with that disability and, you know, the debilitating pain that she's lived with is something that just absolutely astounds me every day and I just love her to death and you know she's 81 years old and and still around I'm blessed at at my age to have both my parents still with me and I love them both dearly. Yeah yeah it's it's certainly as the years roll on you get to uh, understand your parents better I think you know I'm not suggesting that's everybody but certainly for the majority we start to understand them more and certainly uh, in a lot of cases, their legacy just becomes clearer and clearer, doesn't it? And clearly yeah. for you, mum's legacy of her love for her daughter for a start, and that's not always number one, I reckon, but um, just her influence on you is clear to me and, and you've you've captured that beautifully. That's, I think it's that strength of woman, you know, that, that strength in a woman. She, she wasn't anything extraordinary. You know, I think she's beautiful, but, you know, it was just her inner strength and that, that the way that she carried herself and held herself as a woman in that in her era as well like she was very much a a professional woman in an era where professional women weren't around too much and things like that and she did Mm. a lot of things with sport and you know representing the community and and she just you know everything that she did was service but then my grandmother my mum's mum was 101 and a half when she died and when she died Mm. she was the longest serving volunteer of St Vincent de Paul in Australia so she has served St Vincent de Paul for over 50 years. So, yeah, so that that female service is something that is very inspirational and aspirational for me as well. And very timely given that we've got, uh, for, for those listening in, we're currently in February. We've got our um, ICB Summit coming up very soon and there will be a little bit of a lens on the value of volunteering. So uh, mm. that, that's a great little segue. Might even capture that uh, for the, the summit there, uh, I, can, Leanne, I, so. can, I can definitely tell you some stories about volunteering, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, look, we'll, we'll be definitely unpacking that during the summit. So um, great segue there. 
I note that uh, you only yesterday I was revealing to somebody um, some information about myself that they never knew, even though they thought they knew me forever. And that was that I'd uh, actually started out in life studying horticulture, which was uh, a bit left of field for the person I was telling. And I noticed that you actually started out as a pharmacy assistant. So um, it didn't quite kick off in the zone of bookkeeping right from the get-go by the sounds of things. No. as So from the age of uh, 15 years and nine months, as soon as I was able to legally work, I got a part-time job working Thursday nights and Saturday mornings at Bloomfield's Pharmacy in Lithgow. Um, and I did that right up until I left Lithgow after I finished my HSC. So working weekends, you know, school holidays. I loved doing that and ended up actually working with the pharmacist, reading all the terrible writing of the doctors in Lithgow and <laughs> Portland and filling scripts and, you know, as a pharmacy assistant. So, yeah, it was great. Again, you know, getting to know the community and serving the community and, you know, as a small town, everybody knows everybody. So it was a great, you know, part-time job. Isn't it amazing that, you know, with all the technical advances we've had over, especially over the last 10 or 15 years, and, you know, basically everybody does everything digitally now. I went to my doctor the other day and sure enough, he hand wrote out the script and you still can't read it. You know, it's... uh... It's like, what well, what is it with doctors and not being able to write? You know, oh, it's I know. pharmacists. I know. I and... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that is, but you know, there were often times where I and there was one doctor in particular, Tony Joseph, who died just recently. Actually, um, he was our family doctor, and um, he would be one that I would have to ring constantly and say, "What was this? And what did you mean?" And you know, being able to interpret, you know, three times a day and day and night, and all the the, the shorthand that doctors use on prescriptions. So um, most. Doctors I know these days actually use, you know, something like medical director to, to, to write. I think they're getting there, yeah. I think they're getting there, aren't they? But not mine at the moment. But no, no. I swear they, I swear that at uni they yeah. must take them aside into a separate room, you know, with a, a darkened room with a guy in the corner with a cigarette in his mouth who says, you know, you can make a lot of extra money if you write really badly here because they'll sell people the wrong drugs or whatever. I don't know what goes on yeah, there. But, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, I've probably got that completely wrong. No, there's de- there's definitely something about it. I think lawyers and, and doctors, their writing is atrocious. So maybe it's something to do with all the study notes they have to do or something. I to be able to charge the big bucks and, and, and have handwriting like that. <laughs> and, well, I think yeah. the better one would be to be able to interpret it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, maybe, it. <laughs> maybe there's a there's a hidden career there for somebody. So we, we've, um, we've been trying to read the handwriting at the pharmacy for a little while and then I know noticed you made the move to the big lights of Sydney mm-hmm. in the 1980s and um, and that's probably where from what I understand you sort of started to maybe make the connection with government and state government in particular. Do you want to give us yeah, yeah. a bit of so, a brief wrap-up on that one? You know, similar, similar to Colin, if you haven't listened to Colin Walker's podcast, you know, I had a similar transition into career, did the public service exams, both the state and Commonwealth exams over, you know, the period of um, year 10 to year 12. And, you know, I was um, at this point in time, I'd finished my HSC in 1981 at Lithgow High School and um, was waiting on my results and I had already had an offer to university in Armadale, so that's where I was heading off to and I was teaching swimming at the local pool. Um, so I was a swim instructor at the, mo- the local pool doing the Oz Swim summer summer camp and teaching, you know, from, uh, you know, 8 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon and getting melanomas probably and all that sort no. of thing because we didn't worry about that, wearing rashies and all that back in the 80s. So, And then I got a, a, a letter to say congratulations, I'd been accepted into the New South Wales Public Service and my dad sat me down and said, Leanne, I think you should do this. You know, if you get a job with the public service in New South Wales, you'll have a job for life right. and you'll make a lot of friends and you'll do a lot of different things and I think I think this would be a good way to go. You know, you'll get study time, you know, do it for 12 months, see what you think and if you don't, you know, so I deferred uni. We moved to Sydney. I lived with friends of mum and dad's for, you know, they dropped me off and I, I lived in a spare room of, their, of my mum and dad's friends out at Penshurst and arrived at what was then called the Department of Government Supply. So we were dogs. Um, that's, you know, everyone in the New South Wales Public Service <laughs> called us dogs because we worked for the Department of Government Supply. But the Department of Government Supply back in 1982 supplied every government 
office buildings, schools, every structure with all their supplies and, and managed all the state contracts. And it was a staff of about 800 people working out of Francis Street near Sydney over the other side of Hyde Park opposite the police headquarters. So I started there as a general clerk and I was working in the deductions department. So the deductions department. So we, we also paid every government employee. So um, not um, so you know everyone from uh, the ground staff Staff and and cleaners and you know all of those auxiliary workers in government departments. So not the staff, but all those auxiliary workers. So and in that day and age, you could have all sorts of deductions coming out of your pay. And I was responsible for reconciling all of those deductions and preparing the checks to all the suppliers of those deductions. So health funds and unions and, you know, super funds in those days and all of that sort of stuff. So that was my first job. And then I worked um, with the government supply department for a number of years and worked in all the branches. So I worked out at the courier service. So that was the mail, all New South Wales mail went through there. I worked at the um, clothing, at the, um, the supply department in Alexandria, which supplied, you know, everything, pens, pencils, right through to all Mm -hmm. departments, hospitals, every government office used to order through there. So I worked out there for a while. And then I came back into head office and worked with the human resources division. So it was was an interesting career. And over that time, did all sorts of things. So discrimination stuff and supervision courses and got really involved in the government. I think I'm starting to get the answer to my very first question about knowledge and the fount of it all because <laughs> that sounds like an amazing grounding. I reckon uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love my kids to have um, gone down a similar pathway, although they've gone down different pathways. And, and I guess we all choose our own pathway at, at that point. And by the way, I'm very proud of the pathways my kids are going down, just to be Mine sure. Um, <laughs> yes. Did you at the time sort of start to unpack, for one of another word, where this was all leading to or was it still just a fabulous journey? No, it was, I mean, living, you know, a country girl that was very naive moving to the city and, you know, experiencing city life, living in the city, living by myself, living with a girlfriend, you know, moving out, doing all the things that you do and then travel and buying clothes and makeup and going to clubs and pubs and weekends away. And so it was It was just, I just loved life, experiencing, you know, everything, mm. taking advantage of opportunity that, you know, someone would say, do you want to do this? And i go, yeah, I had no responsibility. I had money. I, you know, it was just about enjoying life. I was having a great time. <laughs> I think I think when you know on reflection and we see this in a lot of shows that are on TV reflecting on the you know the 70s the 80s here in Australia I think you know you referenced um the empowering of of women that was a real time where especially young women started to go hey I can travel overseas or I can move elsewhere other than where I grew up and and it really experienced life is that how you found it? You know, was it a bit of an eye-opener for you? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, being a country girl with a very close-knit family and all of that sort of thing, like I'd watch my brothers go off and do things, but they were very focused on what they wanted to do. You know, I, yeah, I just think it was just empowering to be able to go out, make my own decisions, discover something away from Lithgow. And, you know, I think I was like every country kid that wants to get away from the small town mentality and the small town that doesn't offer anything, which helps you to appreciate what is actually yeah. given by a small town. You know, I, I have a great saying where I say, you know, you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. <laughs> um, and, and that to me has been part That's of it. But Yeah, you know, meeting different people and meeting people from different cultures and, I mean, it was such an eye-opener and, you know, there were so many things to do. It was about what you wanted to do and where you could go and how much money you had to do these things and, you know, university was just like, oh, why would I want to go back to education when I'm having so much fun? So I wasn't really, I mean, the opportunities, I was I was on a fast track with the government supply department, like with government supply, I was one of their fast track public servants. So there was this, this whole thing where they exposed you to everything. So I would be moving around every three or four months to different areas and discovering different things and meeting new people 
people and, you know, trying to work out where I wanted to go. And it was just like, okay, what's next? You know? Yeah. If, yeah. If wow. Said, do you want to do this? I'd go, yeah, let's go do it. You know, <laughs> I just had to work out how to get there. You know, what train went there and how to get to where I was going to go the next week that they asked me to do something different. So, so I wasn't really focused on anything. I was just no. enjoying what was there and putting my hand up for everything. Loving life and, yeah. and you know, wow, in a world that we've just been through for the last 12 months, you know, there, there must be so many people out there, especially young people who are just going, I just want to go out and find the world again, you know, and, and yet that is so hard at the moment and how blessed were we back then to be able to just do that, to yeah. just hop on a plane and fly around the world or fly somewhere oh. or do something, you know, and really generally felt very safe, you know, it, it's hopefully our world gets back to that land. Yeah, Yeah. and look, Mm. I think, you know, one of the big lessons, if I look back on it today, one of the big lessons or the big things that I took away from it was that I could adapt to change. And I think that Mm. set me up throughout a life that Mm -hmm. all of those experiences that were offered to me in that first eight years of working set me up to be able to cope with anything that was thrown at me. Without yep. you know, and and to to to, to manage fear, um, which was probably the biggest one, is is fear of going and doing something new and being able to go. You know what? You know, for me, and excuse the French, it's bullshit beats bravado every time. So you know, mm. someone would say, "Can you do this?" and I'd say, "Yeah," and I'd go and learn how to do it. Mm. So yeah, I'd say yep. yes first and, and apologise later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I've seen that in evidence a few times over the years. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's it. You know, it is about, you know, swallowing fear and making the most of an opportunity, I think, and that's a huge one that we need to take. A, you know, fear is a mindset as far as I'm concerned. There are things that you need to be fearful of, but you're taught about those, and it's about, you know, these sort of things is, is to look at an opportunity and go, you know what, I can do that. I can walk through that door and I can do that. It's going to take some effort, but I can do that. Well, the word that my wife and I discuss a lot that we, I guess, um, think about and I guess you could say speculate is the word I'm looking for, does it still exist? And that's the word resilience. And that that's what I think you're talking about here. I think you're talking about an era, a time in Australia where that sort of free spirit actually had the flow on of building a resilience. And Australia is, is definitely demonstrating that to a degree now, uh, where that will go in the future and how young people in particular can gain that resilience is, I guess, the question mark. And I think um, what you're calling out is what an amazing and blessed time the 80s were for especially young women to be able to get out there, do discover what they wanted to do, even if they didn't discover it immediately, to be able to try different things. So you've captured that beautifully. There's almost a piece of Australian history right there in that capture. Well done. Yeah, and, and, you know, going back to that women, I was on a working committee in the public service when EEO policy was first introduced into New South Wales. So I was, there was about 50 women that worked on this policy of equal employment opportunity. Um, Mm. And I was there doing that, you know, (laughs) kind of burning the bras in the 80s kind of thing. Doing doing these things. Yeah, going to forums like the public service was very much on women's opportunities and equal employment opportunities and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And and it was, um, you know, I had the opportunity to do a lot of those and go to forums and listen to, you know, females in Australia speak and all of that sort of thing as well. So, and, and I was on a committee that worked on policy for New South Wales. So, you know, that was an exciting time. And although at the, at the time I thought, yeah, this is an opportunity, when I look back on it, it was the formation of quite a significant policy for women in, in New South Wales. Definitely, yeah. I, I'd, I'd suggest though that even though it's come a long way, there's still plenty of distance to go. Would you? Would you agree? I mean, I was only looking at some of the top CEOs around Western Australia recently, and they had the top ten, I think it was, and the majority of them were still men. Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely think it is, and I think you know we're we're the creators of our own destiny. So women have to look at those opportunities and not be afraid to go after them. And it, and it, yeah, it's still a boys club and it's about breaking into that boys club and not being called a ball buster or you know those sort of terms that come along Mm. with that sort of woman that breaks those barriers and celebrating Mm. 
break those barriers and all of that sort of thing. So there is still a long way to go and it's about, you know, it's it's changing one mind at a time. You know, it's not something that I think it's something that we will always be working on with any kind of discrimination, um, whether it be women or sex or whatever, it is about changing one mind at a time. So, you know, we talk a lot about each person's journey and that's certainly what this podcast is all about, capturing the journeys of bookkeepers and, and where they've come from and where they're where they're at now, where they're going to, I think for the majority of us, the word journey involves a lot of excitement, a lot of pleasure, as you've just explained. But then sometimes life can change and things change and events happen. And, um, and you know, for many of us, um, things like marriage come along and, you know, suddenly things aren't quite what they once were. Was was that the case for you? I see marriage in 1987, um, so still pretty pretty young, really. Yeah, still pretty young, so 20, 23 years old, I think, 24 years old when I got married. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I had a, um, a bad breakup which led to me moving back home and living with mum and dad for a while and I was still commuting backwards and forwards to Sydney because I didn't want to be without a job. So I would get on the train at 4.30 every morning and get home at 9.00 o'clock each night um, and I did that for about six months and I did the last couple of months with a broken foot. I, I broke my foot wow. on, my, on my 21st. So I came back to um, to Lithgow um, mid, yeah, mid-80s, so about 85 I came back to Lithgow. I ended up getting a job with, the, with State Rail. So I came back to Lithgow and worked at the Lithgow Loco Depot and then the Lithgow, what we called the pie shop, um, which was in Main Street. And I ended up being a timekeeper that paid 500 enginemen and, and workers at Lithgow Loco and, oh, and drivers, wow. train drivers in, in that were working the Lithgow and Parks lines and down into So Sydney. a payroll of 500, you were dealing payroll with of 500, payroll. Yeah, manually entering it in time books that then went to Sydney and got crunched through these massive big Wang computers. So, yeah, so everything, all their times, all their shift penalties were worked, everything was done manually in these big books for each person for a fortnight. So we'd do one book a week and send those to Sydney and they'd get crunched through the computers. So there were these data operators that would crunch those numbers and then, you know, they it would come back with a time sheet that was a computerised, you know, the roller with the, the lines with the dots down the, the holes so we would get these big pages that were a3 size and we would have to go through and then compare those to the books to make sure it was all right and then that would then go to the commonwealth bank and the commonwealth bank would would prepare the the dollars and then the dollars would come back to the pie shop and we would stuff envelopes with money <laughs> and then they would go out on trains to the drivers at the different depots. Oh, like an Italian job. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much like that. It was, it was amazing. You know, when you did it, it was just a job. But you look back on it now to where we are with computers and the way things are done now and in those, you think, my God, I mean, it used to take us two weeks to do a payroll. You know, it wow. was phenomenal stuff, but it was, <laughs> it was great. And, you know, working in a very male-dominated environment as well. Um, I was the only female timekeeper in a male. There was five of us in the timekeeping department. I was the only female. So it was an interesting time to be in with, working with a group of guys. Most of the guys that worked at the Loco Depot were guys. Um, so, you know, I, was, I would go to the local pub with them and I met my husband and things happened from there and then... Oh, what eight years later, I was made redundant. So you know, they the, everything started to be computerised. They didn't need as much. So I was actually pregnant at the time and decided to take a redundancy from State Rail. So I'd been with the government just over ten years, got a pretty good payout for a twenty-eight year old, yep. and um, yep. spent the last three or four months of my pregnancy with my feet up, playing cards with my sister, waiting for the birth of my daughter. <laughs> And, and that clearly, I know, you know, of all the highlights in your life, that's up there as number one. I do want to just go back. I want to rewind about five minutes, not even that, maybe a couple of minutes, uh, just especially for the younger listeners. Leanne said Wang Computers, if you yes. weren't quite sure. You just be a little bit careful with um, saying that one too quick. <laughs> 
quickly. <laughs> so uh, a Wang was a com- type of computer. So yes, Wang. Yes, yeah, so I mean they were. You, you know, you look at some of those movies where they've got the big computer processors, and you know the big square, big that, that have got lots of wheels and turning structures and all that sort of thing. That was a Wang computer. You know, just before <laughs> I left, they introduced what they called dummy machines to the loco depot. So these were a dummy machine that you could type information into that went into the Wang computer at its central office in Sydney, you know, which was in Grosvenor Square. Um, so mm. not Grosvenor Square, Goulburn Street. So down there in Goulburn Street near Central Railway Station. And, um, you know, that was the first time they introduced these computers. You know, I was working with a few older blokes that just went, oh, this is never going to work. And I'm going, this is a computer. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking stuff. It was, absolutely. Well, right about now, I reckon we've got a whole stack of younger listeners uh, to the heart of the bookkeeper madly Googling, what's a Gestetna? What's a Wang <laughs> computer? You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear, so, uh, I can tell you a few other things as well, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. So, yes, the birth of, of Brody, who now is about to turn 30 um, mm. very soon, clearly a, a major moment in your life and one that um, has impacted for at least 30 years, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I started when I was five. You know, I had Brady obviously, when I was five years old because <laughs> yeah, I, can't, yeah, yeah. I can't believe that I've got a daughter that's turning 30. You know, in <laughs> my mind, I still feel and act like a 30-year-old. Do you yeah. know, it's, I was talking yeah. to somebody about this the other day and it's that, that age thing, you know. I mean, when we're kids and we think of our parents being in their 50s or 60s, we think they're really old until we get there. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I can't believe that I've got a thirty-year-old daughter who is, you know, doing her third degree and still hasn't worked out what she wants to do with her life. And you know, by her age, I had a three-year-old kind of thing. Mm. So, mm. yeah, but you know, yeah. she's been an absolute joy in my life. She's been, you know, a driving force that has kept me going and focused. And yeah, she's she's just beautiful, and I love her to death, <laughs> and I'm so proud of her. So, you know, it's probably, you know, if the only thing that goes on my on my tombstone is loving mother, I'd be happy with that. That is beautiful. And I do actually have, I, I've, I, I sort of had, I've had a bit of a chat with Brody. so I've got a little bit of a moment later that I'll bring with you, but um, I'll bring to you, but we'll, we'll keep moving on. I, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to go into it, but obviously the, the marriage didn't work out. And, no, and, and you had to move on. Yeah. 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 Look, you know, um, Brody's dad was a wonderful man, and Brody still has a beautiful relationship with her, and I never blamed him. A lot of that, I think, was me. Um, if I look back on it, and I'm, I'm pretty honest with myself, I grew apart. I, you know, I wanted different things. I wanted to do and see, and Gordon was a, a small town man that wanted a small town life, and I wanted more than that. So we, we mm. argued and fought and grew apart, and you know, I will always love him for being Brody's dad, but I needed more out of a relationship. Mm. So unfortunately, mm. yeah, after three years, it did break down. I needed to move on and do more in my life. I didn't want to stay in Lithgow. I didn't want to just be a mother. Um, I wanted. Mm. I thought I had more to offer, and uh, yeah, I had to grow. And such is life, isn't it? So, yes. yeah. I I was a coward, I have to tell you. I was a coward because I broke up with Gordon while my mum and dad were on a three-month overseas trip, so I didn't have to tell them about it until I did. <laughs> so by the time they came home, it was all done and dusted. I, w- I don't know that I'd had, I would have had the courage to do it if I had to face them with the decision because everybody in my whole family loved Gordon and they still do today. So, you know, I was yeah. the worst person in the world when I broke up with him. So, mm. yes. Anyway, <laughs> we we will move on. We we won't go too deep on that one because um, just a, as a little bit of a, a warning here, we're get, we're going to move a little bit into maybe a, another um, zone by talking about a thing called the naughty forties. <laughs> uh, I need to know about the year two thousand and two and. A chat room, which was cutting edge stuff back in 2002, just quietly, a chat room called the Naughty 40s. Now, you know, remember this is a family show, so okay. uh, let, let, let's see where this one goes <laughs> with nervousness. So I'd been alone for almost six years with Brody. So as a single mum, I'd done a few things, moved to Wollongong, moved home, done different jobs. And um, at night when Brody went to bed, I needed some companionship. You know, I got lonely at night. So we used to, at that stage, there were what they called nine MSN chat rooms. So it was the introduction of internet 
communications, I guess, you know, working, you know, being able to go into a, a room and chat with other people from all over the world and do, you know, that sort of thing. So I got into this, I saw this room this night that was naughty 40s and I went in to see what they were doing and they were doing a trivia show. So I started answering these questions and it was a nightly show that happened from, you know, 9 till 10 o'clock at night after the kids were in bed. There was a whole lot of 40-year-old single people in there from all over the world. And um, um, after about four or five months, there was a group that were just, you know, we were diehard tragics that went into naughty 40s every night and played trivia. And Ian was one of the, tri- the, cr- the trivia masters and I had the opportunity. So there were people that were under 40, but the majority were over 40. So I was... 38, I think, and um, I had the opportunity to go to Brisbane and go to one of the girls in the room had a 40th birthday party at the tavern just outside Dreamworld. So I went up and stayed with her and we went out and there was all these people from Naughty 40s and that was where I met my next husband, Ian. And from getting to know you sort of around the mid to late 2000s, it just, you were peas in a pod, weren't you? Oh well, that was that was the way we saw it anyway. For those of those who got to see you guys in action, you were joined at the hip, you might say, and there were so many things that so many things that sadly we don't have enough time to unpack. But you guys just went in a short period of time. You just went on a, an incredible journey together, didn't you? We did, we did. Ian, Ian was just he was absolutely the love of my life. Um, so you know, we met in two thousand and two. He moved from Brisbane to Lithgow in two thousand and four. He was made redundant. London. He worked for Gordon Kennedy and had a bookkeeping business on the side. He was a trained accountant. He was English. He'd done his accountancy with Pete Marwick um, in London and had the opportunity to move out to Brisbane and, and worked with Pete Marwick. He was an auditor. He travelled around the world doing audits for a big accountancy firm. Um, he didn't fit in with a, the accounting firm in Brisbane because it was an old boys club and he wasn't from the right school or the right, you know, there's that whole culture there. So he left there and worked independently and when he made got made redundant, he decided that he wanted to change from Brisbane and move to Lithgow to be with me. Um, and we ended up getting married in 2006. We had a couple of overseas holidays with the kids and, yeah, we worked together, we lived together, we loved together and it was an amazing 10 years and he taught me so much about myself and I miss him every day. Yeah, yeah, as and it and it's extremely difficult to bring it up, but the journey there did did have an ending point in, in April of two thousand and twelve. Yes. Um, two thousand and twelve, he had a massive heart attack and um, yeah, died very suddenly in a mm. small country town between Armidale and, and Bathurst, and yeah, it was just it was horrible. It was tragic, but. Mm. It was an. Um, it was also a time that absolutely humbled me because Ian and I had been quite well known as a team within what was then the MYOB community as certified consultants, and we'd done a lot of work and knew a lot of people from conferences and training and all of that sort of thing. And the the outpouring of um, help and um, financial support and the friends that came to my aid during that time. You know, people talk about the bookkeeping community being a family, but family started there. I think for everybody that was around in NYOB in that time, that was where the family started. That, you know, if I pinpoint a moment where community came together in the bookkeeping community, I think a lot of people that are older like you and me and Amanda and people like that, Matthew and all those people in the community, that was a time where a community came together yep. for the first time as a community to support one of their own and I will always forever be absolutely humbled and just shocked at the, yeah, at the way people supported me through that time and the love that people had for him, yeah. I think, I think you've absolutely nailed it. I was there. I was obviously, you know... <sighs> As, as rocked as 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 anybody, um, but on reflection, and this is Ian's legacy. I really, really put it down to Ian's legacy. And for those who don't know, there is an award given each year at MYOB called the Ian Berry Award, which recognises the fact that his impact at that time not only was significant, but 
the passing of Ian at that time was significant, but it continues to be now. And um, I think many in our bookkeeping community, just the fact that we call it a community, certainly that was a big part in it. I have nothing sure. Uh, I am absolutely certain of that because having yeah. been there at the time, it was yeah. it was the it was the toughest of times, but. Now, in hindsight, we can celebrate Ian's life and celebrate what he's done because I, I don't think too many other industry communities have what the bookkeeping community has now, and that is this ability to 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 feel for each other, to understand each other, to help each other, a desire to want to see others succeed. It's very unique, and and I won't say it's the only reason, but certainly. And sadly, Ian's death played a huge impact on that. Nothing sure. It did. It did. And, you know, interestingly, I can talk to mates in the community these days and they can say to me, I still remember when you called me, that the morning mm. you called me, or I still mm. remember the day that Ian died. So that, that mm. in itself is, you know, that is so, so impactful that a person in, in a short period of time can have such an impact on people. And, and look, he was. I mean, he had a, a huge impact on me and my life and my family and his family and his children. And, yeah, I, he went too soon. So, you know, yeah, and, and he, he was, if I can take the pun, he was the heart of the bookkeeper community, you know, yeah. in that time yeah. when he died. You know, it's, you know it's, it's amazing that, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, Rob, you know, we've talked about it often, you and I, about when you had your heart attacks and the impact that that had on both of us and how we felt about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm so fortunate that you lived and unfortunate that Ian died at that time. You know, they call it the widow maker and it's not called the widow maker for nothing because it, it does make widows of a lot of people. So if you're a guy listening to this, please keep up with your health, your heart health. Amen. I've had two friends alone over the weekend uh, suffer major widow-maker heart attacks and thankfully both have survived. Again, it's rare, only 12% of um, people survive uh, what they refer to as a widow-maker, which is uh, where your your arteries are blocked to a greater degree than around about 80 to 90%. Um, once that happens, yeah. it's... It's it's nearly game over. It virtually is always game over, and um, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a difficult conversation, even with me, with you, Leanne, because I almost feel I guilty sometimes that I survived and Ian didn't. And um, all I can say is that his legacy is as alive today as the moments before he even passed. So, yeah. um, and and that legacy is in you. You have maintained that legacy and he must be looking down so, so proud of his beautiful land. So well done. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was it was a huge challenge in my life to overcome that because I was part of a team and had a future as a team and had plans and dreams and schemes and you know, as as a as a person that has lost that significant partner in their life, it is hard to go from being part of a team to a solo journey to, to creating another reality in a lot of ways. So, you know, it's been a struggle and I'm still struggling through it today. You know, I still have good days and bad of days. Of course. Yeah, my good yeah. days are better than my bad days, but it took at least four years for that to happen, for that that balance to go back the other way. So it does have a significant impact on you. Well, thank you for sharing that. That that was obviously that very <laughs> difficult. It is very difficult, and and I know how how impactful to this moment. You know, just even um, remembering Ian is. So um, we feel very privileged on this podcast that you've been willing to to open up in that way. And we really um, we absolutely those of us who've been around a long time continue to honour Ian's legacy every single day because of that impact that he made and. He probably didn't even know it at the time, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's there and it's here today and it's every time you go on Facebook and help out a member or somebody in the bookkeeping community, I think there's a touch of Ian in there somewhere. Every time you react uh, to somebody in a positive way, there's yeah. there's Ian alive and and living well mm-hmm. and truly. So, he was that master yeah. storyteller. <laughs> yes, he was. He was. Uh, I only knew him for not long enough and mm-hmm. uh, he was he was an incredible person. 
Um, we 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 will start to to have to to look at winding down this. This has um, uh, been a, a great journey, but we're not there yet because I want to know, and I'm certainly sure the listeners want to know from from about the time of Ian's passing. That's when you probably started to gain the most momentum. Would that be right with bookkeeping? I mean, you and Ian had been on the journey together to get it there, but love your numbers, your your own creation was yes. um, set up not long after Ian. Is that correct? Yes. So um, I found it really difficult to be able to continue working the business as the numbers game, which was Ian and my business, because it was so much both of us and the partnership and where we'd taken that and the plans that we had for the numbers game. We were just about to launch a mentoring program. We'd, you know, we'd worked hard in the industry to 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 get the recognition and and to be able to teach in the industry and all of that sort of thing. And I just found that for me to be able to continue to get up and put my feet on the ground every morning, that was a real struggle, um, that I needed to do something different. So there were two significant people that helped me, three significant people that helped me to actually be able to pivot that way, and that was Amanda, Amanda Linton, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. who's the CEO of ICB, Deborah Anderson, who is Mm -hmm. the you know, a wonderful person in our community and uh, on the board of the TPB and Peter Karen, Amanda's partner mm. at that time. Um, those three people helped me to be able to build another business, to get a bit another business off the ground, to um, in the same way that I'd helped Amanda, she was my rock. She ran mm. me every day to make sure I was okay. So, you know, our friendship is, is just the most precious thing to me. Um, but yeah, I had to, to be able to move on and to do what I had to do as a single person on a journey, I had to have a new business. So those guys helped me to get that business up and, and to the point of pushing me to put my feet on the ground some days and, and to, to do what I needed to do to keep on going. So, you know, I will forever be in their debt for being able to do that as well. So that's part of the community as well. I was just going to say, there's bookkeeping community in action right there, and um, and I, I'm tipping that you know most listeners to this show um, have a story like that where you know that they had a stumble and somebody came and and grabbed their arm and lifted them up and 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 set them on a new pathway. So on the shoulders of giants. On the shoulders of giants. Yeah, I was privy to. To, to seeing what the likes of Deb and Amanda and, and a couple of others, including Peter, were doing in your life at that time. And they clearly had one objective and that was to help a mate in the industry, in, in the community. So we, we celebrate it. Absolutely. I, you know, I had, I had some very dark times, I've got to tell you, after Ian died about, you know, and I think people that lose that significant other go through that of, you know, what's there for me and why am I here and, and you know, some pretty significant dark times at that time but you know I hope that I'm honoring Ian's legacy I hope that I'm also honoring that pay it forward by contributing back into what people have contributed to me which has been very you know there's it's not so much a responsibility it's just that feeling of passing it on and being able to help other people where you've been helped and you know it it humbles me in so many ways that Mm. has happened yeah you know it, it is about continuing on and I have gone on and I think I've done pretty well over the past nine years um, as a solo operator and entrepreneur and I think that I'm doing justice to myself, my family, my daughter, my, my friends in the industry and, and other people and I hope that, you know, it, it provides other people with the ability to talk about these things or to, to know that there are people that they can reach out to if they need help and, you know, I'm always there and I think people know that I'm always there with a, with a, a listening ear and a, a, a hand and a hug. Absolutely. I can attest to that. I promise you I can attest to that. Um, we are going to, to start to wind this up now. I finish every episode. You, if you've listened in to the first four, three or four episodes, I finish okay. each episode with a little little game that I like to call debits and credits. And, you know, it completely confused Matthew Addison. He had no idea what I was talking about. But uh, <laughs> uh, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already done so. It was a, a classic. Um, it was. So the idea is that, you know, I'm going to ask, as all good bookkeepers, we know that our debits and our credits always have to equal at the 
the end of a good journal entry and um, the debit has kind of got the connotation of being a little bit sort of more on the negative side, you could say, and, and a credit more on the positive side. Although the more I look about it, I think, you know, we, we tend to think of that because of a bank account statement when we look at it. You know, the debit means, you know, your bank's gone backwards, it's gone down, but but all good bookkeepers would know that the rules of debits and credits actually say that on the balance sheet a debit increases the bank account. That's so I haven't probably, right. haven't probably quite got that one right. But anyway, that's, that's what we're <laughs> going to stroke with here. So quick questions, quick answers. First question, first debit. If there is one pet hate you have in regards to the bookkeeping profession, what is it and why? Bookkeepers bad-mouthing their clients on social media. Right, yes, and I know I've I've heard you vocal on this before and it's a good one, yes. It doesn't, it really doesn't achieve anything, does it? It, do, it doesn't look, you know, if you're going to operate a professional business as a professional bookkeeper, then why are you banging out your clients on social media? Find a support group. Do it through a network meeting. Do it Do it personally. Find your buddy to unload to, to have that professional supervision, if you like, but don't do it on social media. It's such a bad look for our profession. You never know who knows who. And coming from a small town, and I think I've got that across yeah. today, what we've been talking mm-hmm. about, people know people, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just such a bad look for a professional person to bag yep. out clients on social media. Yeah, I think I did it once as a naive country boy and the next day my underpants were flying from the local flag post. So, um, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> you're is. right. You, do, you yeah. get found out. It doesn't matter if you're in a big city or not, they'll find you out. If, yeah. and it just, you're running a professional business. Be yes. professional. Yes, yep, yep, absolutely. I don't think if you went back through social media, I don't think you would ever find a post where I have bagged out a client, a colleague, the industry, nothing. I'm always nice. positive and professional. All right. Now to the credit side. We go debit credit and good mm-hmm. journal entry. Always, you know, you start with your debit and then yeah. you move on to your credit. <laughs> favourite ever song and why? Oh, favourite ever song I think would probably be The Wall. Oh, Pink Floyd. Yeah, Pink there Floyd. we go. Yeah, um, a bit of a statement of a generation. Concert. It was the last concert that Ian and I ever saw before he died in February 2012. It was the whole production. Um, it was amazing and it's always been an album. The uh, The whole album of The Wall is an album that I bought. It's oh, an all-time classic, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah, probably The Wall. One of the biggest selling of all time, I think. Yep. So, yeah, yep. you, you've, you've, you've nailed that there. I won't ask yep. you to sing the chorus. but no, um, please don't. No. <laughs> our, our, our members and people that are listening have cannot, cannot afford the therapy bills that would come from me singing this song. <laughs> They've all had to deal with the cat video, the lawyer or, or was this week. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I can't afford yeah. the therapy from me singing on a podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> Back to the debits, and for those who who are regular listeners or regular um, connectors, you might say with the ICB, you'll know that along with Matthew Addison, Leanne has very much become you know the voice throughout the last twelve months of JobKeeper, and and certainly the ICB um, Fridays with ICB. Um, so what I, what I want to ask you now, a tough question, short answer is all that's required. Do you think Australia is moving in the right direction with recent compliance changes that affect certainly not only us in the bookkeeping industry but our clients? Are we going in the right direction, do you think? STP2's on the horizon, a few things happening? Yes, would be my short answer. Yes, I do believe that we are going in the right direction. You know, it's about big data and we have to accept that. It's it's change. It's, it's something that we are moving toward and... We have to accept that these things happen and we have to look at the opportunities for what that provides, not only for us as bookkeepers serving our clients, but also for our clients in hopefully removing some red tape and hopefully, you know, removing some of this bad media around small business thieving wages and, you know, all of these negative connotations that the media looks for because that's a good story. So, mm. yes, I hope we are moving in the right direction. I think we are and, and hopefully, you know, with ICB we can continue to provide everything we need to help our members provide those services to their clients. 
And before I move to the last question, as I started this particular episode, I think already there's a whole heap of people out listening right now going, Leon, you don't have to hope you already do that for us. You know, if you're lucky enough to get Leon on the support line when you ring into ICB and for those who aren't members, you know, you don't know what you're missing out because we've got this amazing support line maintained by a bunch of incredible ladies who do a fantastic job every day and Leon's definitely one of the best. Yeah, well, I try. I try. I try. (laughs) I try my best. Uh, You're a bit unlucky if you score me. But anyway, uh, you are absolutely ticking that box and uh, and just quietly too, we haven't mentioned the fact that Leanne is also a director of the ICB, so he's playing a huge role in the background uh, in relation to oversight of uh, of the membership and um, I can attest to, to her incredible efforts there as well. But last question, and this one actually comes from Brody, or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> I might be using a little bit of poetic license here, Brody, but um, I know that she probably does want to know this. She wants to know, is it true that Cooper, the Golden Lab, is the number one love in your life right now or (laughs) is that true? That's what she just wants to know. That's her question, not mine. In the animal kingdom, yes. In the human (laughs) kingdom, no. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, anybody that has a pet knows that a pet's a baby. So, Brody, if I can put it this way, they are both my children, but Brody's my favourite child. Is that am well I, done? Am I digging yeah. myself a grave here or not? Done, done, done that beautifully. I think we, we <laughs> might even just bring that to a full stop right here and right now. Leanne Berry, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on Heart of the Bookkeeper. I hope that we've been able to do you the right service by un- unpacking your journey in a way that um, you're happy with. And um, I certainly have been enthralled. Uh, this last hour or so has just gone in the in the click of a finger. It's been amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So thank you. Thank you. And, I feel um, like I only touched the surface, you know. Yes. And now for 57 years. <laughs> Always the opportunity for Heart of the Bookkeeper um, episode two down the track uh, with the, the rest of Liam Barry. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, folks, that's a wrap for episode four of Heart of the Bookkeeper. We can't thank Leanne Berry enough for joining us today on this episode, episode four. We have heard an amazing story, and if you haven't been touched by some of the events of Leanne's life, I'll be amazed. She's she's shared with us in a really amazing and personal way, and we thank her for that. And Leanne, we wish you the very best for your ongoing journey And I know the bookkeeping community of Australia is very thankful for all you do for them and uh, all you will continue to do for them. Of that, I am certain. A shout out to, to Nat Marshall, who produces Heart of the Bookkeeper each episode. Thank you, Natty. We could not do this without you. So, folks, we look forward to you joining us again very soon on Heart of the Bookkeeper and we love your heart.